0: Janice Rhodes. Uh, I've always found It's when we die, we get to go to heaven, uh, but at the same time, in Acts chapter 7, they mourned Stephen deeply uh, when he was murdered, and, and so it's that didactic challenge that I think that we have, is that we love people, uh, we, we rejoice with them, we're encouraging, and then when they pass, they get to go to heaven and be with God in eternity, Uh, But we still grieve. Um, So it's like that we're happy and sad all at the same time. And I don't have an answer for that. I don't have a solution for that other than uh, we grieve with those who grieve and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And I want to make sure that that we're grieving uh, for Amy and her family uh, and our our sister Janice. And at the same time, we rejoice. And so I want to keep them in our prayers. So let's do that. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, God, we come to you now this time, and we pray for uh, Janice, our sister. God, how grateful we are, and what a great example of a disciple she was. And Father, we pray for her daughters, and, and Amy, who is with us in the North region. And, and God, we pray that um, you encourage this family through this time. We do love you. We are grateful. Thank you so much uh, for sisters like this. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So on another note, uh, some serious things. Uh, You know, we have health problems and issues as we get older. Like, for instance, it's so encouraging uh, to uh, uh, see Rob Ryan with us this morning and all that going on with him. And certainly Dennis. But, uh, you know, Rob brought a visitor today. And his name is Jake. And if you get a chance, you get to reach out to Jake and encourage him because he's visiting with us. And after church, I have a knife, and whoever wins the lottery gets to, pull, to cut off this knob that I saw in the back of his head. And so I know that'll make Ebony really happy. And so I want to encourage Ebony, but it's great to have them visiting with us, as always. You know, it's amazing this last week. Where's Gracie at? Gracie Hurley. Is she? Oh, Gracie. Gracie got baptized this last week. Go ahead, Gracie. Stand up. No, no, stand up. Amen. Amen. Yeah. She got baptized. A ton of people are at her baptism. So encouraged for her and the Hurley family. Uh, and Alan had surgery this week. It's amazing. He's up here singing, giving himself. He had surgery. Amen. Oh, amen. Give it up for Alan. Amen. So, you know, liposuction is amazing, and he looked good. Amen. So I want to pray for Alan. So yeah, 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 yeah. Nice try. So, you know, did you did you forget your uh, ring? Uh, amen. So um. Alan had to go get his little thing he has to sit on. I'm sorry, that's why he had to go out. So <laughs> if you don't get it, <laughs> you will someday. Amen. Alright, so the other thing I wanted to make a uh, reference, some people are like, what is he talking about? All right? You have to sit on a ring when you had certain type of surgery. Amen. All right. So, with that being said, oh, come on, all right, so with that being said, Kids Kingdom, um, oh, also, if you need translating, we do have translating uh, equipment, so for those of us uh, that would need that, Moises asked me to make that special announcement, and lastly, uh, today, after church, we're having Kids Kingdom training. For those who are in the Kids Kingdom program, the new um, rotation we're going to be having let me ask you this: uh, How many of us here were have been were children at one time? <laughs> thank you, thank you for those of us who are honest. Amen. So now then, we can ask: Well, how many of us have children? So let me put it this way: um, How grateful I am for every bit of influence that I've had throughout the. 50-plus years of my life, beginning in when my mom used to take me to children's ministry when I was growing up. And the influence of men and women taking the time to prepare a lesson, to come to class, be responsible, to share their faith with me growing up. So when I grew up, Christianity was never really an issue for me. You know, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. I understand God. And, and I grew up in that environment, which I'm so grateful for. Now, for me, when I got older, I had to make the decision whether or not I was going to be a disciple of Jesus or not. But that's what I had to go through. But I had people that helped me. I think one of the ways that we can make a huge impact on making disciples is for us to have the conviction that we matter when it comes to serving in the kids' kingdom. Taking the time, preparing lessons, being with the kids. I know some of us feel insecure, that maybe perhaps we're not important or we could do a good job, that perhaps someone else could do a better job, I get that. But you know what? The kids don't understand all that. The kids see you as a hero, coming in and serving them, loving them, helping them, and they don't get our insecurities, our feelings of shortcoming, our whatever we're going through. They just get to see us for like an hour and a half, if Alan's preaching, maybe two hours of of time on Sunday mornings. So... I'm joking. I always tease Alan because he takes it and he can dish it right back. So so why do I say this? Because I think all of us who have served at one point or one time and another need to be recognized in gratitude how much it means not only to me uh, as, a, as one of the leaders of the church, but also to the children that we serve thank you thank you for your hard work and we do have needs we do have needs for more people to serve but i think if we understand is that that time that we can give means a lot and so if you'd like to serve you can serve even in this rotation there's there's a need there will always be a need there'll be a need in three months from now and six months from now but we do have needs so i wanted to make sure i took a little bit of time and express my gratitude And here's the thing. It is a little bit of a sacrifice. That means you do have to plan a little bit. That means you do have to come a little bit early. And I get that. But at the end of the day, we're building God's kingdom. We're building the church. And every class that we teach adds a little bit. And if you keep adding a little bit, I think I'm a great example. You keep adding a little bit of calories, a little bit more every year, and and you get a little bit more at the end of the year, and it makes a difference. So please um, look for ways to serve. Amen, amen. Amen. So I want to talk about recovering our sight. Recovering our sight, and you know, you look at God, Jesus. And you see this overwhelming desire to do good things for other people. And I think of all the ways, you know, like, the how can I do good for someone else? And, you know, my daughter-in-law, they're they're visiting, and she says, Todd, he says, can we have ribs when we come to visit? And I desire to do good (laughs) to other people. And I was like, sure, we can have ribs, and, and, and I'll, I'll learn how to make ribs and do ribs. And so, you know, I read, and I study, and I understand, and I prepare. And, and you know, when I, when I want to do good for somebody, you always run up with problems. You know, the, the temperature gets too hot or too cold, or did I put the seasoning on right, and, you know, do I have the right wood, and do I have the time, and, but I want to, I have a desire to do good. So I made ribs, and they were good, <laughs> and I got, a, I got a rack and a half at home. So I'm not going to fellowship really long afterwards today. (laughs) And if Blake and Aaron have to go directly home to Austin from here, that's okay. Because that means there's more ribs at home for me. (laughs) But see, you know, we have a desire, I think, as disciples. And I want to do good for other people. You think about that. It's like the children's ministry thing. And I want to, I desire to do good for the kids. If you're married, if you have a roommate, if you're single, if you have kids, don't have kids, whatever, whatever relationships you can think of, there's that desire to do what's good. And I appreciate Jordan sharing about distractions and about about video or 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 that whole um, video, how much time you spend and the distractions that we have by looking at things all day long. You know, in Psalm chapter 23, in verse 1, you see God has this desire for us. And in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, isn't that cool when you understand that God desires to lead us? God desires to restore our soul. But then you see what Jesus desires. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light you think about that when you think of Jesus and God and how they want to restore our soul how they want to give rest to our soul you know at 55 or 56 years old I cannot tell you all the times and all the different ways that my soul needed rest that my spirit needed to be restored. And with all that being said, do you know that most of the time I am my worst enemy? You know, there's a scripture in Ezekiel 1820. Many of us know it. It says, the soul that sins shall die. And so there's this concept that, that in our soul, God wants to revive it. He wants to restore it. He wants to give His rest. But then when we sin, that soul will die. You know, in Genesis, the beginning, the why, not the how, first 11 chapters, God is, is, is trying to lead the Israelites, teach the Israelites And and there's a little little part here, Adam and Eve. In chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Don't do it. Don't do it. And what did he do? He ate it. You know, what's fascinating about this is that, you know, God told Adam that if he ate it in that day, he would die. But he didn't. He didn't keel over. It's not like Ananias Sapphira that he just like dropped over and died. Why didn't Adam die right after eating the fruit? God said he would. Yeah, you ever think about that? God said you would die on that day. But he didn't die. And you can imagine what's going on in um, in um, Abraham's or uh, Adam's mind. Did I say Abraham earlier? I did? Okay, good. So I'm getting old. I heard that. All right. <laughs> so Adam, you imagine Adam's mind, he goes, are there really consequences? Are there really any consequences? I ate the fruit, nothing happened. You, know, you think sometimes we do things and, you know, it's like if I do this, what's the consequences? Will anything really happen? And so I don't know how long it was, but we know that later in the story that God's walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. And see, what happened is that Adam did die because Adam changed. He saw God differently. He saw the world differently. says, Adam... And Eve, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God literally is walking, looking for Adam and Eve. And now Adam looked at God differently, and they hid themselves. And not only did they hide themselves, but they saw the world differently. Because, see, it talks about how they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, Adam did die because he now started looking at God and the world differently. <laughs> you know, I can think of life. How life, again, 56 years. 36 years, 86 years, it doesn't matter, but how life can drain the faith and vision out of a person. How through life you can focus on the wrong things. You major in the minors and minor in the majors. You can feel overwhelmed and tired because of life. You know, and how did Adam respond to life? Well, he rebelled against God and God's will. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. The fruit looks good. The serpent says, I really won't die. So he ate, and he changed. And now he saw God and the world differently. You know, over over the years that I've lived, I see so much of Adam in me. Because, see, I sin. I've eaten the fruit. I've engaged in things that I've always wondered, will there really be consequences? So. Now, as disciples, we're called to follow Jesus. Thank goodness. So we have a story now of Jesus, and it's found in the book of Mark, chapter 6. And we have this story of Jesus and how he's engaging, and I want to read a part of it. In verse 30, chapter 6, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus. And told them all that what they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, every once in a while you can get busy, but man, you're so busy, you you can't even eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many of them saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to them and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. We'll stop there. So you have this situation. And frankly, when you look at the whole picture, it's an overwhelming situation. Because if you understand the context of what's happening here, if you look up earlier and read the whole chapter of 6, you find out that Jesus was in Nazareth, and his own hometown rejected him. Now, I don't know what kind of conflict you have in your family. You're going to find out real soon, because you've got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. <laughs> But the bottom line is, is that can you imagine being a prophet, being the son of God, and your own hometown rejects you? Across the board, almost everybody rejects you. Mark chapter 2, 3, it says even his own family doubted him. During the chapter 6, he sends out the twelve. Hey, let's go about our father's business. Go. His cousin, John the Baptist, is murdered. The disciples come back. The 12 come back. The news about John the Baptist comes into Jesus. And you're sitting there. And you're getting this great news. And you're getting this horrible news. And all of a sudden now, you you, you say, let's go away. Let's go get some rest And literally all these townspeople start following you in the boats and they recognize you and they're running up to you and you're surrounded by hundreds of people and they all have needs. So many with so limited resources. That's an overwhelming situation. What overwhelmed thing are you dealing with right now I mean we could we could literally I mean you get a microphone and let's just go around and let's let's talk about physical problems. I was before church started my knees, my back, my whole body I mean it was almost like we we're trying to outdo each other we weren't, but it's like each soul knows the pain they're in. How about mental? How about other people? How about how about work? How about moving and, and this and that, or I mean, you can talk about all the overwhelming situations, and then it's like, why me? What's happening to me? People, things are putting pressure on me. People are expecting too much from me. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Am I like, I mean, is this relatable at all to anybody? It's like every single person in this room. And you, you know, you're saying this about yourself, and then you just got to look to your right and your left, and you realize they're doing the same thing. And then you didn't look up and down your row, and guess what? Everyone in your row is doing the same thing. And if you're not, if you're not, oh, you will. You will. Life's gonna come. You might be dumb right now, but it's gonna come, and it's gonna come with a vengeance. And you know what? Most of the time, we're our our own worst enemy. Again, over and over and over again, I can share. Stupid. Because usually it's me shooting myself in the foot. And then I say, why me? Why is this happening to me? So the story continues. In Mark Mark chapter 6 verse 39 and then it says then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass must have been springtime so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and he divided the, the, the two fish among them all And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and a fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. You know, it's interesting here in this text, it says Jesus looked up to heaven. You know, this is the same Greek phrase that you see in Luke chapter 4. In fact, you see Jesus looking up into heaven in the Gospels, three different times. But the Luke 4, verse 18 scripture, we know it better this way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The Greek here, the context of the Greek word that, that is used here in Luke 4, also at the same time, what we're looking at Mark chapter 6 is now basis, which means to see again. Recovery of sight. And basis. Jesus had to recover his sight. He wasn't blind. But he needed to recover his sight. Jesus rejected in his village. Jesus focusing on his family business. Jesus' cousin being murdered. Jesus having hundreds of people wanting him to meet their needs. He needed to recover his sight. And so he looked up to the father and recovered his sight. Then he blessed the food, he prayed. He needed to see again. Mark chapter 6, feeding the 5,000. Mark chapter 7, the death and the mute man. John chapter 11, the, rise, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. In all three cases, his looking to heaven pointed to his relationship with God. In all three situations, this is where Jesus gained the strength to feed the hungry, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Jesus, Jesus literally had to regain his sight. And it wasn't because he was blind, it's because he needed God's perspective. He needed to see God and the world differently. You know, I could see all my problems. You know, usually I see my problems pretty clearly. My foot hurts. My bank account's low. This problem, that problem. Why me? I see my problems pretty good. But the problem is when I focus on my problems... I'm blind. I don't see things really clearly. I start looking at God differently. I start looking at the world differently. All the worries, riches, and pleasures. All the weeds that can wrap themselves around me. All the things that can drain my faith and my vision. All the things that I can focus on, the wrong things. All the things that can make me feel overwhelmed and tired. And see, here's Jesus wanting to do good. He he desires to do good. He desires to give their souls rest. but he's got to regain his sight. Jesus has to re- regain his sight because he needed God's perspective. You know, and I'd love to say this is a lesson that I've learned at one time. There's like, you know, I went to church one day. I heard this lesson. And I, oh, I just have to regain my sight. And I walk away And I've regained my sight the rest of my life. But see, it doesn't work that way. Because see, all the weeds of life that want to pull my focus away occurred daily. And if I don't make the commitment to regaining my sight daily, life's going to wear me down. Problems are going to wear me down. And I so desperately want to see again. I so desperately want to regain my sight. And I want to see God's perspective in every situation that's before me. I want to see God's perspective from every situation that I'm faced with. Whether or not it's health or finances or family, physical, mental, getting old, whatever. I want to see God. I want to see God and I want to see the world correctly. So I won't be afraid, I won't be afraid of my problems. I won't go hide and try to cover myself. You know, I don't know how women hide, but I know how guys hide. Pornography. Shutting down in relationships. Not being open. Allowing all the distractions to pull their minds off of God, not being devoted to those who can help you and, and challenge you and call you higher, trying to find ways to escape because the pain's so great emotionally or spiritually. You know, you know it's one thing when you make a decision to become a disciple of Jesus and you, you make that step like Gracie did, the beginning, and oh, Gracie. Now it's going to start. The easy part's done. Easy, it's easy. Now you got to live it. Now you got to do it. And I remember all those times that, I, mean, I remember going to chiropractic school and, 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 and leading two Bible talks and discipling people and hiding. Getting involved in sin. Because, see, I didn't have a good view of God. I didn't have a good view of the world. I was doing it my way, not God's way. So I hid and tried to cover myself. And so I think the challenge here for us, and I don't know how girls do it, I'm sure it's probably a lot different from what I just mentioned. Or it might be the same. Do you want to recover your sight? Do you want to have God's perspective versus the world's perspective? Do you desire to do good for others? Or is it about you? Is it about your way? And see, my hope here this morning as we take communion, that my hope today, like Jesus, that if we're going to, Understand, and we're going to have the strength and the power to live the life that Jesus so desperately wants us to live. God so desperately wants us to live that we'll recover our sight, that our our sight will be restored, and that we'll get God's perspective in whatever challenges that we perhaps are facing. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for this time to be together. God, thank you for your son and his example for us today, that, God, that we can recover our sight, that, Father, we can see you clearly and not be fearful like Adam, not run away like adam and eve father not clothe ourselves, but father see you in all things and father do it your way than ours father we know you desire to do us good give us the strength to see you and to see your will we love you and it's in your son's name jesus we pray amen